You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. This edition of It's My Money is brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth, your partner for global wealth creation. It's a Tuesday, so it's time for It's My Money with Brenthurst Wealth. And from Brenthurst Wealth is Andre Besson. And Andre, you sent me a piece yesterday that says how to make sense of a crazy world. And it's not as if it's just one sort of event and we're getting over it. It's a constant craziness that is happening. New rules here one day, new rules there another day. We don't know what on earth is going on. Luckily, South Africa, I think, is coming out of it. Yeah. My aim with this is actually to help people create stability because everybody if you have internal stability then you're okay to to walk a straight line when everything around you is chaos but it it my feeling and my experience was is the past uh, months it, it has been a battering um of constant change constant unknowns for people stuff happening that they can't understand so i, I try to make a i'm to make a bit of sense for 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 the listeners and for myself and I think after that, you're going to feel a bit more empowered and, and feel more at ease. So I hope, I hope so, because the first point you made, you, you say the following. There's a disconnect between economic growth and equity prices. Markets are forward-looking, investing in companies, not countries. I understand that. The problem I've got with that statement is that, although it's, it's correct, if there is a second wave or a third wave yeah. of the coronavirus, uh, then the economic growth for the future will be anticipated by the investment community as being lower and therefore the stock market will react accordingly. But at the moment, let's just yes. say that we're over the worst. What we're seeing in the stock market is discounting better times in 12 to 18 yeah. months, I would have thought. Yes, so markets, meaning equity prices or shape, uh, prices of companies uh, at a V-shaped recovery and in certain instances uh, higher than the starting point before the collapse. But the point is that markets is... is uh, price to perfection. They think the buyers of, of equity, uh, any market is made up of buyers and sellers, but the buyers of equities have the view that there is a post-COVID world which would be kind of like uh, different than the, the one previous uh, before COVID, but they think that there is a future ahead. Um, now, if th- that's what happened, but in, 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 um, in practice, uh, this growth has not gone through yet. So if you look at the economic growth of countries, uh, maybe the, the, the um, I got don't have the exact numbers, but I, I figure the, the US GDP might be a negative 5% for, for the year. That's some forecast. And um, now the, uh, thinking that the, there will be a 4% growth next year, uh, only in GDP numbers. So, but that Every country is in a in a contraction at the moment, South Africa big time, but, but if you talk globally, everywhere there's a um, there hasn't been a recovery of the economic damage, whilst it, what you see in the share markets is there has been a, a recovery. So if people think that it doesn't make sense, it's because markets are forward-looking, and it actually ties in a lot with my second point, um, which is the U.S. Fed. Because if you want to understand what is happening in the markets, you need to understand the amount of stimulus that central banks around the world, not only the Fed in, in the United States, but also the Bank of Japan, the ECB in Europe. Yes. Everybody has been pumping liquidity in the market. So to give uh, listeners a perspective of the size of, of liquidity we're talking about is that um, there is some market commentators expecting the Fed to, to pump in 
eight trillion of US dollars. So uh, if you if you take the aggregate uh, of all three of those banks that are central banks that I mentioned now, it's, it's already close to eight, eight trillion. But Apple as a uh, as a co uh, company at, at a market cap of around one trillion, not not too long ago, and at the stage that stage when they reached that, it was bigger than the entire German stock market. So that's the size of Apple, and now Apple is two trillion. And if you take two trillion and look at eight trillion, uh, now the, I, I don't have the exact number of the German stock market now, but that the amount of stimulus pumped into the system is almost eight times the German stock market. Now you look at companies in Germany. It's not a Nelly Willy, Mickey Mouse companies. It's Deutsche Bank and Volkswagen and, and BMW. Um, so my point is, a market player has entered into the arena that is significant, uh, pushed a significant amount of liquidity into the system. Now they don't buy, the central banks don't buy the stocks, but they they put money into the system that needs to go somewhere. And, so, and where does it go? Where does it go? Where does it go? Andre? So the scary, the, scary, the scary people buy gold, yes. or they sit in cash, and when they sit in cash, they see shucks, cash and bonds or, or bonds, conservative asset classes. They don't yield like anything. So actually, the the Fed is, is pushing the rates down because they, um, um, big big the the bond yields just go down and down. So so now an investor is actually pushed towards a decision to take risk. So you, if you want a yield, you need to buy either credit because you can't buy bonds, which is a, a corporate kind of bond, uh, or you need to enter into the stock market. So there's two kind of people. The one is the risky one that they say, okay, no, I'm, I'm an aggressive investor. I'm going to take a long-term view and I'm going to buy share prices. Um, the underpin for some of these stocks has been good because the second point I want to make is the Fed is a, is a big player and it put, puts a lot of liquidity into the system, which we can't ignore now. And I think if you look at what hap what's happening now, it's what happened in 2008 with the global financial crisis. It's just on a much bigger scale. It's on steroids now. And what happened was that that when uh, Jay Powell into, entered into the arena, he said, no, I'm a bit more hawkish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to increase. I'm, I want to take some of those debt out of the system which the Fed created. But when he wanted to do that, uh, the markets really didn't like it. He couldn't he couldn't deleverage the, the the balance sheet of the of the of the of the central banks. And why I'm saying that is I don't think the central bank stimulus, which they pump into the system, is going to go away soon. It's too much of a risk for the. At what stage, Andre, does it become meaningless? In other words, you're telling me now about numbers that I can't even comprehend. Trillions. At some stage, yeah. people are going to say, "Well, you know what." We know about this. There's so much money being pumped mm. in. When is it actually going to, as I keep on saying, you use the analogy, you know, the last glass of wine that you have is not as impactful as the first glass of mm. wine that you have when it comes to, you know, making you feel good in the short yeah. term anyway. So at some point, it's got to become not meaningless, but certainly not as meaningful as before. Mm. So I'm going to try make things simple. So for the CFAs in the room, please excuse me. But I'm going to try and make things simple in layman's terms. So the Fed don't have an ability to create money from like selling products or services. If they want to do things they do now, Jay Powell needs to pick up the phone. He needs to call the U.S. Treasury, which they have in writing a document how to manage crises. So 
in all honesty, I think a central bank is a great place in the system. It's the it's the last resort kind of guy. When nobody else wants to buy assets or can provide safety and, and confidence in the system, which happened in the freeze in March, April, when when everybody wants to sell everything, then then a central bank needs to come into the system and say, we're going to provide liquidity. Otherwise, if there's no liquidity or money in an economy or in, in financial markets, then the engine of your motor is going to seize up. So they did a good job of, of that. But how it makes sense to me is that if you if you lend money, you need to repay it at a certain stage. So the Fed, um, if they buy government bonds, um, or if they provide liquidity in another system and in, a, in another way, they need to be repaid. In, and so if if uh, the U.S. Treasury um, needs to repay this all this debt that the U.S. government just keeps on. Um, uh, and all other governments in, around the world has been acquiring it, the only asset that a government has, apart from land and some other small stuff, is the, the ability to generate tax income via tax. Yes. So now um, that's the one. So they need to repay that debt via tax, or they need to inflate their way out of this out of the debt. So if there's three, four, five percent inflation. And the debt stays the same. Then, obviously, in, in in real terms, it gets lower and lower, and lower. Now, central banks have been trying to create inflation for a long time, and they they failed in that. Um, and Jay Powell has said now he's not going to raise interest rates in, until 2023. So, they've created so much debt, and the U.S. government actually is standing in for this debt. And if they don't outgrow that. If they don't grow the economy, they're not going to generate taxes. So it's actually they leverage the next generation in a sense. That's the one thing. The other thing which to put people more at ease, some of these companies that uh, the share prices have risen, they're actually profitable companies with strong balance sheets. So now in a certain stage, the Dow Jones Index, which is the industrial companies, GM, General Motors, Ford, General Electric, old school kind of companies, they've been flatlined. They, they haven't grown at all. Um, the, the NASDAQ, the tech stocks have risen exponentially. Now, um, some of that can actually be merited because the if you take the past 10 years, online retail growth um, has been growing steadily in the first nine years. Almost the same amount of growth has happened in the past one year. With COVID, has only exponentiated the change in the world that, that we've seen. So companies like Amazon, Google, Microsoft um, has been growing very, very much. Some of them too much, but some of them you can um, you, you can pay that kind of fee for a share price. So right. some of the the rise has, is is questionable, but but not all. Let's ask you your third point now. It says turbulence after COVID. Uh, that's the headline. Unknowns and knowns. Well, the known is that we don't know. Uh, and that's the point. I, I don't think that yeah. anybody knows. I mean, just in the last hour, the UK has reimposed certain restrictions that had been lifted a couple of weeks ago. So it's all over the place. US versus China, mm. uh, with the election coming up, Mr. Trump is not certainly not going to back down on his policy towards China because it appeals to mm. his base. So there's so many other things as well. 
And uh, given what we've had in the first 22 days of September, i.e. volatility-wise, then perhaps October may be even more volatile. I don't know. It, just, mm. it must be when, when a client phones you up at Brenthurst Wealth, you probably have to give them the balanced view that you've just given us. But on the other hand, mm. it's a view that is, yeah, one of those unknown knowns. Or so known unknowns, make, rather, sorry. Yeah, if, if you make peace with the fact that you're going to get another COVID kind of scenario every 10 years or every 7 years or every 15 years, there will be stuff happening and some of them you won't understand. So there's a there's always a balanced view um, for like two, two sides of a coin. But my, my only thing that I can assure you of is that there will be stuff happening in the future, let's just take the rearview mirror. There's been two world wars um, in the in the past century. There's been turbulence in the Middle East. There's been this, uh, the rise and fall of the Soviet Union, which um, which has a material impact on 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 the globe. Um, yes. There, there's been 9/11, which is a smaller scale, uh, but had a big impact. Uh, there was a two two eight. The global financial crisis. So there's a lot of crises, and we've lived through all of them. Um, now, COVID will come and go, but what I want to emphasize is that there's some things that will stay. So the US, China, China has been growing so much, you can't, um, they, they, they've passed a the tipping point uh, in terms of geopolitical influence. So China sees the world in a much different way than the US, that they have vastly different worldviews. Um, so there will be tension, and the way China wants the world to operate is vastly different than the U.S., and um, they are so strong they, they won't back away soon. Um, so we need to live with the fact that there will be turbulence, even if Trump doesn't um, get elected. Uh, so there's a lot of U.S. people which thinks, you know, China um, needs to – there's stuff that they're not happy with. Um in terms of trade deal, I'm not saying they're going to go to war. What I'm saying is that post-COVID, you need to realize that there will be volatility, um, even if we get a vaccine. So w the way we manage it is say there's great companies. Okay, so let's bring it back home. The only thing in our ability to, to make decisions on, which you don't need to back away from, is to invest in companies, which is will be profitable. So in China, if China continues growing, there's great stocks there, like NetEase, uh, Alibaba, Tencent, TikTok. There's a lot of good, good companies. And even on a global scale, they, they, uh, they, they're based in China, but they, they compete on a global scale. Then there's US companies, which will continue to grow, which will continue to operate in, on a global scale. And we believe that you can own both. You shouldn't be have a, have a binary view of the world. And, um, yeah, that, that's the way we see it. But they, you don't know what, whether Trump or Biden is going to win or not. You don't know whether the vaccine is going to be yeah, soon next year. There's a lot of stuff you don't know, so don't base your decisions on that. The only thing that you can base decisions on is to say, let's like, take a long-term view. Uh, let's invest in companies that can adapt to a changing world. Yes. And um, if you're too scared about all the debt in the system, um, don't invest everything in stocks. Uh, they, you need to uh, allocate 
according to your risk profile as well. And I think I'll, I'll just sum sense. it up by saying that uh, you've got to diversify your portfolio geographically and also via asset classes, different asset classes, and also speak to your financial advisor. And in this case, of course, it's Brent S. Wealth. Andre, thank you very much for your time. That was It's My Money. And that was Andre Basson from Brent S. Wealth. It's My Money was brought to you by Brent S. Wealth, an award-winning boutique wealth management company. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.